Ah, there we go. Well, good morning, church. How are we all doing this morning? That's good. That's good. I just wanted to start off by saying a quick thank you. You see, I have started this job now for about a month now, and for those of you that haven't met me, my name is Tommy, and I'm the new youth pastor. I just wanted to say thank you to the church. This move, this transition has been extremely smooth, and you guys have been so very welcoming, so I just wanted to say a quick thank you, and oh, wow, thanks. The second thank you I'd like to thank for is, as you just saw the video, camp happened last week. It was an absolutely incredible experience. I recovered by sleeping all day yesterday, and even during the week. <laughs> but yeah, it was absolutely incredible, and as you saw, we had four students get baptized. It was truly an awesome, awesome time. So friends, what I want to do today is I want to start off my sermon by sharing with you a story. You see, this would have been my freshman, sophomore year of college, so a few years ago, uh, the start of the COVID pandemic. You see, due to COVID and due to the times that we were in, you kind of had to have some online friends because you couldn't really do anything or see anyone in person. So I reconnected with an old buddy of mine by playing video games online, and I met one of his mutual friends that he knew in the area after I moved out. And we ended up becoming really close, and almost every single night during COVID, we'd play video games together, we'd chat, laugh, talk about our days, talking about our dating lives, whatever young college guys do. And there was one of the days that I remember it's been implanted in the back of my mind. And the mutual friend of ours, we're all sitting there, we're all talking, we're sharing laughs, having a good time, and he says, hey guys, I need to tell you something real important real quick. And we're like, yeah, whatever, what's up? And he goes, yeah, so I just went to the doctor this morning and I was just diagnosed with leukemia. And this man at this time was about 21 years old. He's about a sophomore in college. And he's like, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm terrified. And he grew up Catholic and I went to a Bible school. So the first thing he did was he's like, what, is this a part of God's plan? If God is all loving and all caring, why would he do such a thing? He would have had the power to let me not go through this, right? All of these questions flooded his mind. And in fact, even in this conversation that we were having with him, there was just a heaviness. We wanted to comfort him, but due to COVID, we couldn't. And how do you comfort someone with that? How do you tell someone that who is in great distress and pain that this is all part of God's plan. How do you tell a 21-year-old in the prime of his life that getting leukemia was all a part of God's plan? You see, as you all know and you've heard a thousand times before, we live in a very sinful world, a very broken world, a world where there's full of abuse, whether that's physical, sexual, or emotional, or even spiritual. We live in a world that is full of hurt and pain, full of world where even though it doesn't surprise God, it surprises us when we have a financial burden placed upon us that we don't know how we're going to come through. Or we get a medical diagnosis out of the blue, and we're like, God, did this catch even you off guard? Because I know it sure caught me off guard. I didn't want this, and if you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you're in control, why would you let this happen? 
So today what I want to do is I want to drill home the truth and to show you that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what circumstances happen in our life, no matter anything in this world, God is and always will be on his throne. So we're going to be starting in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And before we get into that, I want to share with you a little bit of context so you can fully wrap your head around what's going on here. You see, during this time, Israel has completely abandoned God for the most part. Most of them are living sinful lives. They could care less about the whole idea of God. And it's even written in the chapter before that most of them were actually mocking the idea of God being the most holy one. Mocking that, God, why would you put us in these kind of situations that we're suffering, we're in pain, we're broke, we're whatever? Why would you do this if you're the most holy one? Which is kind of questions that we're asking right now. You see, actually during this time, there was the Israel's previous king, known as King Ahaz. He sinned against God by failing to trust him. There was the coming enemy, and God was and always has took care of them since the entirety of Israel's conception. However, King Ahaz didn't trust God. And he says, I'm going to take matters in my own hand. God, I don't trust you to take care of this. Which obviously didn't work out for them. By forgetting his trust, he sinned against God and went about matters in his own way and failed miserably. And now, despite the people, all of the Israelites, abandoning God, and even their leadership sinning against God, God never abandoned them. Now, during this time, it comes the prophet Isaiah. He's about a young man around the age of 20, and he's a prophet of the Lord. And during his time, the king of his time, King Uzziah, he died suddenly. And now Isaiah is filled with fear and mourning because his country is full of sinful people. He himself is a sinful person. And now they're completely leaderless. They don't know what to do. So he makes a brilliant idea and goes straight to the temple of God to seek God for wisdom. And in mourning, out of fear, out of whatever, he seeks God. And this is when God reveals the prophecy to Isaiah. We'll start off in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The first thing that Isaiah sees in his broken and completely utterless sinful state, the first thing that he sees is God on his throne. And it's also important to note the size of God here. In this vision, we see the train of his robe filling the temple. And for those of you that don't know what the train of a robe is, it's when a king is walking up the stairs, you see the long thing following behind him. That is known as the train of his robe. That train filled the entire temple. It's probable that Isaiah, in this vision, couldn't see the entirety of God because of how large he was. But I digress. Continuing on in verse 2, it says, Above him there were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Here, Isaiah sees an angelic being. And although this being is angelic, 
it actually couldn't see the glory of God. Note how there was the two wings covering its eyes. Now, these beings are constantly worshiping God with their loud and booming voices, so much so that the entire ground that Isaiah was standing on was shaking at their voices. It's also important to note here that the word holy is repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Throughout the entire Old Testament and even the New Testament, there are constant examples of repetition. Repetition is showing a greater emphasis that the word holy doesn't fully describe God, but the word holy, holy, holy has a much better representation of him. Continuing on, we have in verse, get here, in verse five, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. At the sight of God's glory, Isaiah is immediately filled with guilt, not just the guilt from himself, because he himself is a sinful man, but also the guilt of his people, his leaderless country that is a sinful and broken country as well. You see, the vision of God's majesty, God's holiness, made Isaiah realize he was a sinner. When seen next to the purity of God's holiness, the impurity of human sin is revealed. And it's also important to note how Isaiah responded to the situation. Because the entire country of Israel should have had the same thing. The entire country of sinful, broken people that have abandoned God and mocking the idea of him why are they not doing the exact same thing? Why are they not going to God and saying, I am sinful, I am broken, I, I can't even be next to you? Yeah. Yet they're mocking the idea of him. Continuing on in verses six, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Because of his guilt and because of his sin, the seraphim cleansed Isaiah with a coal from the altar. By touching his once unclean lips with the live coal, Isaiah is no longer filled with guilt because his sin is now atoned for. And this is a reminder to us that our own sin needs to be atoned for. Now, in our case, I am not taking a live fire and throwing it onto your mouth. In our case, we have Jesus Christ who has died for our sins and has atoned for our sins, so that we may come to God completely cleansed. Hallelujah. Continuing on in verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of God saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Now, this voice of God is calling specifically to Isaiah because he is the only human character in this vision right here. And it's also important to note how he responded to this. You see, when we look at the Old Testament, there is a lot of people who are called by God. However, Isaiah's was very special because he was very confident, very bold with his proclamation, I am here, God send me. And yet we look at people throughout the Old Testament, we look at the story of Moses at the burning bush, he pleaded with God saying, please send someone else. I am not good enough. 
And then we also have the story of Jonah, who physically ran away from God, went the exact opposite of where he was called to go, and just tried to avoid him at all cost. Yet, Isaiah is different. He boldly, confidently proclaims, God, I am here. Use me, send me, so that I may be your vessel. What an amazing and powerful thing that is. So, some of you may be asking, why does this all matter? Why do I share with you this story? How does it relate to the fact that God is still on his throne? You see, at the start of the story, we see Isaiah at his lowest. He's lost. He's a sinful man living amongst sinful people whose leaders are sinful and broken people. He's lost. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. So he goes straight to God. And when we are brokenhearted, when we are hurting, we are called to do the exact same thing. That is an amazing thing that he did that we should follow suit. Even though Isaiah's life looked like it was crumbling around him, what was the first thing that he saw. He saw God still on his throne. Despite all of the brokenness of Isaiah, despite the hurting of the nation, the abandonment of the nation from God, despite the leaders being sinful and broken and dying, the first thing that Isaiah sees is God high and exalted on his throne. There is nothing, there will never be anything, and there never was anything that can remove God from his throne. God, who is the king of heaven and earth, is, always has been, and always will be in full control of this world. Now, since God is still on his throne, there are three things we can take away with. The first one is, we can trust that God knows what he is doing. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient, which means he has the power and the knowledge for what's best for us and to do what's best for us. Now, a lot of you may be asking, well, that doesn't make any sense. Then why is there still hurting in this world? Why is there still brokenness? Why is there still sin amongst myself, amongst all of you, amongst this world that we're living in? Why are there still wars? Why is there still pain? God, if that's for all of your glory and you have the power and the knowledge about it, why don't you do anything about it? You see, although we don't understand it, although we may not fully grasp the idea of God's plan, we can trust that he knows what he's doing. God does everything for us. In fact, the story of Jesus is a prime example of this. In the last final moments of Jesus' life, he was sold by someone he would call his brother. He was cheated against, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he died one of the most gruesome deaths a human may ever face for all of time. Yet, despite all this pain, all the sin around what happened to Jesus, something beautiful came out of it. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, we now have atonement for our sins. We can now come to God and repent and say, God, I trust you. You are the son of man. And because of this, we can now have eternity with Christ forevermore. Although there was brokenness and hurting around the situation, God did it for us. That's why he sent Jesus. The second thing we can take 
is we can listen for when and where we are called. Now, statistically, a lot of you may not be called to the far ends of the earth. Statistically, there may be some of you. However, most of you are probably not called to go to Asia, to go to the Middle East and go to Africa and spread the word of God. However, something that we talked about, even at summer camp, was we talked about the fact that God is always calling us. The Great Commission is an example for us, for us to go out and preach the gospel. That doesn't have to be across the world. That could be to your neighbor. That could be to your friends. That could be to your coworkers. That could be to your family. That could be to your spouse. God calls each and every one of us to share the gospel and the good news with the world. I pray that you ask God for these opportunities. A lot of you may be saying, I don't really feel comfortable or I'm scared or I don't have the gift of evangelism. The best way to do it is to practice. God is still on this throne. He's still in control. Trust that he will take care of you. Trust that even if you feel like you're gonna fail or you don't think you're good enough, God will give you the words to speak. All you have to do is plant a seed. The last and final thing since God is on his throne, is we can have confidence. We can have confidence that at the end of the day, no matter the pain in our lives, no matter our past we have lived, no matter the things going on right now or the things in the future that are scaring us, no matter the politics of our country, of our city, or of the world, God is still on his throne. He has full control. Nothing surprises him. We may not grasp it fully. We may not understand it completely. But God is still on his throne. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him. He will take care of us. So before I pray and wrap all of this up, what I want to give you all the opportunity to do is to respond. You see, some of you may find it hard to trust God. Because of what's going on in your heart or in your life, you may find it hard to say, God, I give you full trust. I give you everything. That's hard, and I understand it completely. So we'll have people on the sides over here that you can pray with, someone to talk to, or someone if you just want to say, hey, I need more information on this, because I want to trust God, but I don't fully get it yet. That's what we're here for. That's what each and every one of you are here for. But we'd be happy to pray with you. So friends, would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you are. You are a good, good Father. And Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are still in control. And Lord, we may not understand it. We may not fully grasp it. Lord, we may disagree with it. But Lord, your plan is perfect. And Lord, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy. God, we trust you. We trust that you know what you're doing. We trust that you'll take care of us. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.